Thomas was one of the youngest students ever admitted to John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Having tested out of most advanced placement classes in his early teens, he attended a university where he excelled in his pre-med program. He was also the first in his family to attend higher education of any kind. His parents emigrated from Mexico just a few years before he was born, and his father had always been too occupied working to support his newly founded American family to pursue a degree of any kind. This made Thomas's father all the more proud of him. Thomas was, in some way, the culmination of the dream his father had when he left his home country for the opportunities that America promised. It was bittersweet when his parents drove him to the train station, college luggage packed, to send him off to Baltimore for his first year of med school. What no one could have realized is that the train would never make it to Baltimore, and that it would be the last time Thomas would see his parents. Tensions had risen dramatically in the few months before the semester started, and there were rumors that it may not be safe to travel. Neither Thomas nor his parents were going to let rumors interfere with their futures, so they sent him off regardless. It was a few hours after the train had departed that Thomas was awoken from a nap by the sound of panicked passengers. A small TV suspended above the seats depicted the Los Angeles skyline in plumes of smoke. Breaking headlines flashed across the newsfeed, stating a national emergency was in effect. Thomas tried to ask the other passengers what was going on, but they were far too busy tending to themselves. A few ran up and down the train car, while others tried desperately to phone relatives. Thomas heard a man in the back of the train car shout that he had no service. Another confirmed this. Yet another shouted that they must have targeted cell signals as well. The conductor's voice cut through the chaos on loudspeakers, stating that due to current circumstances, the train would be terminating its route at the next stop. Thomas felt his own sense of panic take over, and he reached for his phone to contact his parents, but found he too was without cell service. He tried to tell himself that all was well, even though he worried this day may be the day that all Americans feared was coming. The uprising. Things escalated when the train pulled into the next station only to discover that it was engulfed in flames. The conductor tried his best to evacuate the train in an orderly fashion, but the panic of the passengers could not be subdued. Outside, loud pops rang out. Thomas saw masked figures walk by his window toting guns. He had never seen a firearm in real life prior to that day. The main hallway was swamped with passengers urgently shoving their way toward the train's front exit. Thomas knew enough about trains to realize that each car usually had some sort of emergency exit or hatch on each end. So, as his heart began to pound, he grabbed his bag from overhead and pushed his way to the back of the carriage. He reached the last row of seats and sure enough, found a panel marked emergency exit. Next to it, on the wall of the train car was a large first aid kit that he was able to break away and stuff into his bag. He kicked the escape hatch open and dropped out of the train's floor to the tracks below. That's when he heard the gunfire. Loud pops rang out alongside the shattering of glass. Then came the screams. They were shooting the passengers through the train windows. Thomas crawled out from the car to see ragtag new American soldiers flanking the sides of the train, relentlessly opening fire on the innocent people inside. What happened next was a blur. 
Thomas remembers running for the tree line in the distance at a full sprint. He only looked back once and saw another man running after him. Thomas thought he was being chased at first, but then he realized it was another passenger who had also discovered the emergency exit. The last thing Thomas witnessed before reaching the woods was the man that ran after him cut down by bullets in a haze of blood. Thomas took cover in the trees and didn't stop moving. He wondered where his parents were, if they had even made it home from the train station safely. He would never find out. He was alone now, lost amongst the woods, searching for refuge. Cove Creek Media presents Triumph Tales from the Second American Civil War Created, written, and narrated by Tom Jello Starring Isaac Robinson Smith as Ben Lainey Pejos as Georgia Tom Jello as Jim Rayon Rivera as Thomas Additional voices provided by Alexa Capiello and Alistair James Murden. Smoke billows high above the trees as Jim, Thomas, and Georgia sprint toward the conflagration that engulfs their home. What the hell? What happened? Lantern fell. I saved as much as I could. No. No. Jim desperately hurls slush and snow at the fire, a useless attempt to extinguish the flame. Thomas falls to his knees in the snow next to Ben, who sits with his back to the fire as Georgia paces back and forth, pulling at her hair. It's gone. Suddenly, Jim's frenetic energy turns to rage, and he runs toward Ben. You did this. You bastard. I'll kill you. Jim dives on top of Ben, grabbing at his throat. They roll and struggle, and for a moment, Jim gains control and lands a punch to Ben's face. His head whips back and his eye instantly swells. Stop it! Jim, stop it! Get off me! Thomas runs over and yanks Jim off of Ben, sending them both tumbling sideways into the burned-out shell of a car. It was an accident! Bullshit! Jim, calm down. Jim is back on his feet now, his rage barely constrained. Don't you see? Don't you see what he's done? He burned our base to the ground, the only place we have. Thomas stands and positions himself between Jim and Ben. Ben holds a clump of snow to his eye as it begins to bruise. He didn't do it on purpose. Really? Tell me then, how fucking likely is it that the one guy in the group who wants to move south was left alone in our only shelter and it just happens to accidentally burn to the goddamn ground? Jim has a point. Thomas and Georgia turn to Ben, slightly shaken at the prospect. Ben. I told you, the lantern fell. If you have a problem trusting me or my leadership, then let's hear it. Jim steps forward and unholsters his pistol. Put the gun down. He pushes Thomas aside and cocks the hammer. Jim, what are you doing? You want to talk about leadership? Here's your fucking leadership. I know you started the fire. Tell the truth. Tell us it was you. This isn't going to solve anything. Put the gun down. Jim, please. A moment of silence hangs in the air. The fire crackles as icy clouds of breath blast rapidly from Jim's grimace. His voice lowers in gritty frustration. 
You wanna go south? Fine. You wanna get us all killed? Be my guest. But I'll be there every step of the way to remind you of what you've started. And when we're lying next to each other, bleeding out, new American bullets in our lungs, I'll be the last thing you see. And so help me God, I will drag you to hell with me. Dying by your side in the name of saving our democracy would be an honor. You talk a lot about democracy for someone who would pull something like this. Jim tosses the gun down in anger and storms off down the street. He passes the enemy soldier still bound in the snow and delivers a swift kick to his gut. Get up. You heard the man. We're heading south. Ben is left, nursing his swollen eye. Thomas and Ben stare at him, a hint of distrust in their eyes. That evening, the group marches quietly through the woods. Ben leads the way with the rifle in hand and the duffel bag slung across his shoulder. Thomas and Georgia follow behind him, and Jim brings up the rear, prodding the prisoner along as he stumbles over the terrain, weak from injury. A few yards away sits an asphalt roadway covered in cracks and potholes. The group is careful not to wander too close to the road, staying concealed among the trees. Ben stops suddenly. Do you hear that? What? Shh! In the distance, behind the group, a low rumbling is heard. Ben drops to the ground and places his ear against the earth, listening. It sounds like... Vehicles, get down! The group drops in the prone position. Jim takes the wounded soldier with him and places a gun against his temple. You make one sound, and you lose your face. A caravan of cars crests the hill. An enormous lifted truck leads the train, followed by an amalgam of a dozen sedans, jeeps, and vans. Most of them have had their hoods removed or modified, and the large truck sports the words, For a New America, across its hood in dripping red spray paint. Each vehicle carries five or six new American soldiers. They sit on the exposed sides of the cars, clutching AK-47s and large machetes. Many of them wear ski masks with white skulls bleached into the fabric. The caravan thunders past the group and continues down the road. There must have been 40 of them. We can't be far from their camp now. You know what? I think I'll take a gun. What's that, Tommy boy? You want to carry a gun? Don't be a dick about it. Jim laughs and pulls an extra handgun from his waistband, handing it to Thomas. That a boy. This time try to aim it at the enemy, not the sky. The evening comes quick, bringing darkness with it. The group sets up camp on an elevated ridge high above a valley. They sit on the edge, feet dangling over. Below them, in the distance, a vast new American encampment. Large makeshift wooden walls surround a sea of tents, the entirety of the camp must encompass a square mile at the least. Large circus tents scrawled with new American symbols have been repurposed as military dining tents. Bonfires shine up at the group like tiny points of starlight. The hollering of soldiers can be heard on the wind as they drink around the fires, blasting heavy metal music. Jim breaks the silence. Remind me again how we're just gonna walk in there? Ben takes a swig of water from a canteen. Not we. Just me. You're going by yourself? This is my idea. It'll be a hell of a lot easier for one of us to sneak in than all four of us. Are you sure you want to do this? I'm sure. Why don't you sleep on it? Thomas has a point. 
you're gonna kill yourself, you might as well wait until tomorrow. This should be a pretty safe place to get some rest. We have the higher ground and we can keep watch. I don't mind taking the first shift tonight. That night, Jim and Thomas sleep on what few blankets they have, huddled against rocks to help shield them from the cold. Georgia sits on the ridge watching the last of the new American bonfires get extinguished for the night. She hears a noise behind her and spins around. It's just me. Shit! Ben! You scared me to death. Sorry, I can't sleep. Ben sits next to Georgia. You don't have to do this, you know. We can push on, move around the camp at dawn, find another place to call home. I can't hide anymore. There is a moment of silent understanding between them. That was the necklace, wasn't it? What? The necklace you found in the snow? It's the one your mother gave you all those years ago. I... That's why you're really here. You think you're going to find your brothers down there? I'm here for America. For the old America. We are in the position to prevent something huge here, and we're the only ones who can stop it. Ben looks to Georgia, but she is not entirely convinced. Her eyes narrow. Ben concedes. And, yes, if I find out what happened to my brothers along the way, well, I don't see the harm in that. We've all lost loved ones, you know, to this war. Then you understand how important it is to have hope. Ben removes the necklace from his jacket pocket. This is my hope, and it's the first sign of hope I've had in ten years. Georgia takes the necklace from Ben and drapes it around her neck. Georgia leans in and gives Ben a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> I should get some sleep. Ben stands and starts toward his blanket. Hey, Ben. Ben turns back toward her. Did you start that fire? Ben stares. A gust of wind rushes over the ridge, rustling leaves across the ground. Keep that necklace safe. It means a lot to me. Ben walks away. Georgia swings her legs back over the ridge and resumes her watch. Dawn comes steadily, and as the first hours of light send their rays over the tops of the northeastern pines, Georgia lies asleep. Thomas, Jim, and Ben huddle together, wrapped in their blankets, sharing spoonfuls of corn from a can that has been smashed open with a rock. Give me four hours. If I'm not back by then, I want you to move on. We're not going to leave you. The hell we're not. He's the only reason I froze my ass off in the woods last night. Could be curled up on my cot right now. Well, I'm not leaving you. Jim's right, Thomas. I didn't march us down here so we could all get killed. If I don't come back, you need to move further south and find an allied camp. I say you just fly in there, guns blazing. Like Rambo or something. That's how I would do it. You know, if I, if I was going with you. I wouldn't do it at all. There's no way you're walking in and out of there unscathed. You won't exactly fit in down there. He's right. I may be past caring, but if you walk in there looking the way you do now, you'll be shot on sight. Ben looks toward the captive soldiers sleeping in his new American uniform. Jim and Thomas follow his gaze. Minutes later, the enemy soldier shivers in the cold, wearing nothing but his underwear. Ben steps forward, now wearing his uniform. An army green button-down with an upside-down American flag with black stripes stitched lazily on its breast. Fits you well. Sure you don't want to switch sides? Not funny, Jim. Ben leaves over and unzips his duffel bag. He removes a small flask-sized bottle of chemicals and a pocket knife. 
He uses the pocket knife to cut a square off of his blanket and shoves it into the pocket of his uniform along with the bottle. He then cuts a larger strip of blanket and wraps it around his face like a bandana, partially obscuring his features. Well, I guess this is it. I guess so. Listen, I know you're pissed right now, but I've always considered you my best friend and one hell of a soldier. Jim seems to soften for a moment, but quickly shrugs it off. You going or not? Ben turns to Thomas and places a hand on his shoulder. Remember, three hours. If I'm not back, you go. You're going to need this more than I will. Thomas hands Ben his handgun, and Ben tucks it into his waistband. Thanks. Ben trudges down from the ridge and toward the main road in the direction of the new American base. Suddenly, he hears the rumble of another caravan cresting the hill behind him. He drops to the ground and rolls behind a pile of brush. The caravan thunders past. It is almost as large as the one the group saw yesterday, only this one is comprised mostly of foot soldiers. These soldiers, however, don't march. Far from disciplined, they instead shuffle down the road, disorganized, roughhousing and shoving each other in jest as they go. When the last of them pass Ben, he slips out of hiding and jogs out into the road behind them, entering the ranks and praying he blends in with the group. All goes well for a few yards, and then... Hey, you. Ben's blood runs cold as a new American soldier turns toward him. His hand begins to reach silently for the gun Thomas gave him. Yeah? The soldier looks him up and down. Ben feels all hope dying inside him, and it takes everything in him not to draw his weapon and make a run for the woods. Keep up with the group, will ya? You're slowing us down. Sure thing. The soldier turns and continues walking with Ben in tow, each step taking him closer and closer to the heart of the new American camp. He was almost in, but it was getting back out that had Ben really worried. He didn't have too much time to consider it. As the group reached the bottom of the hill, the barbed wire gates of the new American camp came into view. The soldier turns to Ben once more. Looks like we made it. Thank God I was getting damn tired of walking. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Ben glances up at the ridge in the distance where his friends had set up camp, but it's too far away to see them. That's good. They're safe. Ben wonders if they're looking down at him from up above. He turns back to the gate and marches forward.